As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing, with, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were, when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ, gave, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. If you were walking down uh, the beach in Normandy uh, on Monday the 5th of June 1944, you would have been walking through Nazi-controlled territory. And as you walked along that beach, therefore, you would have been under Nazi rule. You'd have been controlled by their ways. If you'd looked around at the soldiers around you, you'd have seen a group of people governed by Nazi ideology. But if you'd walked down that beach on the 12th of June, 1944, the D-Day landings had happened on the 6th of June, and by the 12th of June, the five invasion beaches had been linked together into one united allied beachhead. Then as you'd walked down that beach, as you'd looked around at the soldiers, the ideology, the way of life of the soldiers around you would have been an allied ideology, allied values, allied morals. So as you walked around that, what you would have seen then in that beachhead, because of course now we know from history that the Allied landings, the Allied invasion was successful, and then a few months later those Allied values would have 
that that beachhead was a sign of what was going to happen in the whole nation and eventually across Europe as the Nazi threat was removed. The church is God's beachhead on earth. We should be able to look at the church and say, that is God's plan for everything. As we look around in the church, as we see the values and the way of life within the church, we should be seeing God's plan for all things. And remember back in chapter 1, verse 10, we saw that God's plan for all things was for everything to be brought to unity in heaven and on earth under Christ. And we saw in chapter 3, verse 10, that God's plan is for his wisdom to be shown through the church. So it's to be shown in the world. So you look at the church and say, that is what the world is going to be like when God's plan is complete. But, as we look around in our church, as we look around at the church in our nation, as we look around at the church in the world, how united does it look? Not always particularly united. Now, we can't change the world out there, we can't change the church out there, but we can change our church in here. And so... I think this is quite a challenging sermon for all of us. And so I hope that we're able to hear that challenge and perhaps go away ourselves committed to change the way that we walk in our personal Christian lives as well as change the way that we relate to one another. But there's something of a surprise then. If we think our church is not as united as it could be, then we might be surprised by what Paul says in verse 3. Because the first thing that Paul says is that there is unity. So verse 3, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul says, look, you are united. But there is still a unity to go for. So look forward to verse 13. Paul says, our goal is we live a certain way until, verse 13, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So there is a unity we have And there is a unity that we need to seek after. And that fits with what we've been seeing in the book of Ephesians, that the first half is talking about spiritual realities in the heavenly places. Things that are true, but that we don't yet see worked out in the world. Things that are true in the spiritual realm that we don't necessarily see in this world with the eyes of the flesh. And so Paul says we need to live out in this world the spiritual realities that are there in the unseen realm. We're going to look at it in two kind of big sections. Uh, By the way, don't be scared by this diagram. I'm hoping it will make things simpler, not more complicated. Um, So hopefully you've all got one of these. We'll look at that for the second half. And now I've distracted you by making you look at it. Uh, So feel free to put it away again uh, for about five minutes and then we'll pull it out to look at the second half. So the first half, this passage splits verses 1 to 6 and then verses 7 to 16. The first half is about the unity that we have. So the unity that we have. And Paul says, look, you are a diverse group of people. He said that to the Ephesians. They were Jews and Gentiles. We don't have many Jews, Jewish-born people amongst us. We've got a couple. But mostly we're Gentiles. But we have many other things that might divide us. I mean, at the simple level, we've got different preferences for the kind of music that we like in church. We've got different opinions over what the priorities of the church should be. 
if we all asked in a survey, rank 1 to 10, the most important things the church should do, probably come out with as many different answers as there are people in the room. There might be ancient grievances in the church that divide us. I know many of you have been here for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe more years. And perhaps there are offences that go back 10 or 20 or 30 years that have never been put to one side. And that's the kind of thing that can divide us. Perhaps there are different groups, different kind of power circles, different inner rings within the church. Perhaps you have in the past felt pushed out. Perhaps you felt excluded by others and now you feel very protective of the things that you are in and you want to push others out and stop them joining. Perhaps there's fear of losing control over a part of the church that we think is ours. Perhaps your kids had an argument with someone else's kids at school. Or just simple things, personality, age, background, culture. And Satan loves division. The devil loves it. He loves the divisions between us. He is absolutely delighted if there's someone in the church we just can't forgive for something that they've done to us. Satan is rejoicing in that, if that is the case. Because division like that masks the spiritual unity that if we're Christians, we actually do have. Everyone here this morning who has put their faith in Christ is more closely related in the Holy Spirit to the other Christians in this church than you are to your own family who aren't Christian believers. That's an amazing truth. You are more closely related to other Christians in this building than you are to members of your own family who aren't believers. It might not feel like it, and that's what the second half of the passage and the sermon is about, But it's true. In the Holy Spirit, we are united. It will be a mark of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives if we want to keep that unity, if we want to make that invisible unity visible in the church. We will want to belong to one another because we belong to Jesus. No inner rings, no superior groups. Because as we've seen in Ephesians again and again, Each one of us, if we are Christians, then we are just sinners saved by grace. Sinners saved by the cross, saved by grace. There's no reason in us. We aren't worthy to be a part of God's church, but he has made us a part of his church. He has made us worthy and brought us in and united us together. It is literally a miracle. And when we remember who we are, sinners saved by grace, then we will live lives marked by the characteristics that Paul speaks about in verse 2. Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. When we remember that we are just sinners saved by God's grace, that we don't deserve it, then we will be humble. And we'll be gentle with others when they don't live up to our standards because we know that God was gentle with us when we did not live up to his standards. We will be patient with one another when they let us down because we know that we have let God as well as letting other people down. And that will lead then to us bearing with one another 
in love. At the end of verse 2, Paul says, bear with one another in love. Uh, The McGraw-Hill Dictionary of American Idioms and Phrasal Verbs, amazing what you can find through Google, Um, but that tells us that bear with someone or something means to be patient with someone or something, to wait upon someone or something, especially through difficulties, to be patient with someone even when they make our lives difficult, to be forgiving of someone even though we don't massively like them. Peter O'Brien in his commentary on this passage says, there cannot be a true church without love between the members. There cannot be a true church without love between the members. You see, this is impossible. Bearing with one another is impossible without love. So this is a hard question. Is there love between the members of St. Helens, North Kensington? Do you love me? Do I love you? Do we love one another? That doesn't mean that we have to like one another. That doesn't mean that we have to naturally get on with one another. Although over time, if we love one another, we will grow more and more to like one another. But God loved us when we were unlovable. And so we are to love one another, though we are often unlovable. Paul says, bear with one another in love. Is the culture in our church countercultural? The world outside, well, if we're not a part of the church, why would you continue to love someone who wrongs you? Why would you forgive someone who makes your life difficult when there's nothing in it for you? But Paul says we are one. We are family. And so we are to bear with one another in love. No factions, no divisions. To keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. As I've just been saying those things, this isn't in my script, there's a risk that it feels a little bit like I'm telling people off. And I don't want it to feel that way. As I say, I... I don't love you guys as much as I should. Part of my preparation this week as I was looking at this passage, um, as I was looking over my notes this morning, was I stopped and I prayed, Lord, help me to love the congregation of St. Helens more. I love you a bit, but I could love you so much more. So please pray that I would love you more, uh, that we would love one another more. It's not, I'm not saying, I've got this right and we all need to change. This is something that will convict all of us. None of us love one another as we should. And as I said, Satan loves it when we are divided and hates it when we love one another, hates it when we forgive, hates it when we put aside past grievances and unite, when we bring the invisible spiritual unity that we have in the Holy Spirit into reality when we live it out. So that's our first aim, is to maintain the unity that we have above our divisions. Yes, there are divisions and There are glorious divisions. There are great things. There are things we can learn from one another's cultures. Sorry, divisions might have been the wrong word to use there. Glorious differences between us. Things we can learn from one another's cultures. But they should not divide us. And in fact, in verse 7, this is the switch. Paul says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Paul says, You're united, but you are united without uniformity. You're not to be all the same. You're not to be clones of one another. 
I don't want you to be a clone of me. And I don't want any of us to be clones of one another. We are to be ourselves in Christ, made more like Jesus. So, Paul says, use your diversity to strengthen one another so that we can be strong. And the goal is, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, I'm going to go through this quickly. Some people find diagrams easier to understand than words. You're more of a visual learner than a, than a uh, words listener. So this might help you. Um, this is my diagrammatic representation of what's a bit tricky in this passage. And so I'm just going to move quickly through this and then you can look at it more later if you're still confused. So I put at the top, who are the ministers in the church? And you might think, well, that's fairly easy. Um, It's the guy whose name is at the front or whose name is written on the thing. And we'll find out that is not actually the answer. So how does a church grow? Well, Paul says, uh, verse 9, he says, uh, who is the one who ascended? It is the one who also descended. Uh, And then verse 11, so Christ himself gave. So that is Christ descended to the earth, verse 9 and then ascended back to heaven after his death and resurrection. But he didn't leave the church alone. He gave us, verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. And you think, okay, cool. Those are the ministers in the church. It's their job to grow the church, to make the church what it should be. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, verse uh, 12, that the job of those guys, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, is, verse 12, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Who builds the church? You do. Who are the ministers in this church? All of you. We could have a sign-up out the front that said, ministers of the church of St. Helens, and list all of your names underneath just the sign would need to be much bigger. It is Christians equipped for works of service in verse 12. And what are those works of service? Well, there are many different works of service, but we're going to look at one in particular, which is in verse 15. So Paul describes in verse 14 a weak church, a weak church that is like a small child that's tottered into the sea, and then a medium-sized wave comes and knocks the child over because it's small, it's weak, it's not steady on its feet. And then Paul describes a strong church, verse 16, from Christ the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as every part does its work. Imagine a 17 stone bodybuilder on the beach wading into the shallows and then into the big waves and the big wave comes in and smacks him, you know, imagine maybe Anthony Joshua, I think he's probably 18 stone actually, not 17 stone. You know, a few small waves aren't going to cause him any trouble, are they? because every part of his body is working about as well as every part of a body can work to make him strong. And Paul says some churches are like the little weak baby. New ideas come along, false teachings come along, divisions come along in the church, and the church is bashed one way, and then bashed the other way by every wind and wave of false doctrine. But some churches are strong. When the false teachings come along, when the divisions come along, people forgive one another. When the false teaching comes along, people know that it is false because they are trained in speaking to one another about God's word, in helping one another. So what is the difference? It is verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, 
we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So the job of building the church is all of our job. It is to speak the truth in love. That's with you for looking at a bit more later. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Well, it means to speak God's truth to one another. It doesn't just mean don't lie. Paul comes on to that later. That would be a bit of an anticlimax, wouldn't it? If he's gone through all of this and said, don't lie to one another. No, he says, speak God's words to one another. So that means a number of things. It means we need to know God's words. So you're, you're here in church, so you're hearing a sermon, so that's great. That's one way to hear God's words. Also to read God's word for ourselves. And then we need to speak to one another. So to speak to one another, not just, how was your week? Isn't the weather not great today? Are you looking forward to your holiday? But also, oh, okay, how was your week? Oh, you've had a bad week. How can I encourage you in that with God's truth? Ah, what is it you're looking forward to about your holiday? Or what is it you're worrying about in the future? How can I pray for you in that? To speak God's truth to one another. And it might be hard sometimes. It might be difficult. So imagine that uh, you need to say to someone, you need to challenge someone about the sin in their life, about the difficulty in their life. Perhaps you need to say to someone, hey, look, I'm getting a bit worried about how close you're getting to that man or woman at work. Does your husband or wife know how much time you're spending with them? How close you're getting to them? You know it would be crazy for you to pursue that relationship. Or perhaps to say to someone, you had quite a lot to drink last night. Do you know that God tells us to keep control of ourselves and not to drink? too much, not because he wants to spoil our fun, but because he loves us and he wants what is best for us. Or perhaps to say to your friend, some of the things I hear you say about other people can be quite cruel and potentially hurtful if they ever found out. Do you know that Jesus says we shouldn't gossip or speak maliciously about anyone? How might that challenge the way that we behave? Now, it is hard to say those things to other people because none of us wants to be thought of as holier than thou, as the kind of nerdy Christian one. But actually, if we love people, then sometimes those are the kind of hard things that we're going to, say, going to want to say to one another. And if we say those things, we might be rejected by that person. And that's hard. But we might, by God's grace, change one another to become more like Christ. We might become a stronger church that walks more closely with Jesus, that is more united, that is more faithful to God. There is glory in saying those kind of things. As we speak the truth in love to one another, as we point one another to Jesus, the church grows and God makes us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I had more time out of time and there's so much more that could be said but I want us to take this idea remember that phrase speak the truth in love that is how our church that is how St Helens North Kensington will grow that is how we will become as a group more like Christ speak the truth in love keep the unity of the spirit by bearing with one another in love and help us all to grow and become strong by speaking the truth 
in love. And as we do so, we will become more like the Lord Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, we know our hearts, we know our lives, and you know our hearts and our lives even better than we do. Father, for those of us here this morning who feel that we don't match up, who feel that we aren't good enough for you, well, Father, that's true. Remind us that we are saved by grace, that you love us despite us, that in Christ we are forgiven all of our weaknesses, all of our shortcomings. We are made like him. And Father, where perhaps we think ourselves righteous, where perhaps we think ourselves good enough, where perhaps we think ourselves worthy of being part of your church, remind us that we're not. Remind us that we need Jesus. And Father, for all of us, help us to love one another truly. Help us to bear with one another patiently. And help us, as the, as the opportunities come, to speak the truth in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.